ripping in. All right, uh, welcome to the first edition of the uh, FMC Roundtable for 2023. Uh, Going to keep it very seasonal today and just talk about tips to help you, I guess, start the year strong uh, with, whatever, with whatever goals you may have in mind, either if they're new goals or they're goals that are carrying over from 2022. Um, mm-hmm. And really just looking at some things that we think you should focus on, uh, but also some mistakes to try and avoid. Um, now, I'm actually going to start, start off with this one. And rather than looking forward to start the year, I want you to actually think about looking backwards. So look at maybe previous attempts you've had of either starting goals or starting the new year and learn from mistakes you have personally made as well. So have you tried to be too restrictive? Have you tried to do too much too soon? Have you had a goal that wasn't very important to you? So really actually think about what you've done in the past and try and avoid making those mistakes this time around. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there, Josh. Um, I think one of the most important things, I think something that people do often is say, oh, I did this diet three, five years ago and I lost six kilos or whatever. I just need to do that again. And the problem with saying, oh, I just need to do that again, referring to the diet that you lost X kilos a few years ago, is that, you know, you're asking, you've got to ask yourself, well, why am I, you know, why am I here now? Why am I needing to do that diet again? Why did I not maintain those results in the long run? And by reflecting on past experiences, you can sometimes realize that what might have worked in the past acutely isn't going to be the solution this time. So as you said, I think it's really good to reflect on past experiences and try and identify whether there might be a better route to take. Because ultimately, if you're back at square one and you're thinking, oh, I just need to do that again, then you know I would say at least that that approach isn't really a long-term solution. It's it's not the answer. Yeah, and I think on that too, Mac, like we like, oh, if you want to be a nerd, like we refer to New Year's as like a temporal landmark, right? It's like, here's a point where you can say, hey, like things are going to concretely change as a result of this like somewhat arbitrary marker. And I think as much as New Year's offers a really good opportunity for people to go, okay, I'm going to start a diet. I'm going to start improving my health or my body composition or whatever. It also offers a really good opportunity to do that reflective thing and to go, okay, what have I done previously? Like, let's put a line in the sand and let's look back and go, okay, this is how things have been. What kind? And then ask the question, what kind of changes do we need to have? And how do we need to play this to get a better or different outcome down the line? Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Like, you know, a lot of people and even coaches, they talk shit on news resolutions. Um, but like, you know, Max, uh, Mac and I myself have also posted on the FMC stories recently that they're not actually all that bad. It's actually just how people go about them um, that that cause the issues and leads people like not not actually following through or not being successful. So. I guess if we today can go through some strategies that we can help mm. people um, set some really good intentions for the year as well. Mm. Um, but like you were saying, Mac, as well, I, I hear so often people just go, oh, I'll just go back and follow the meal plan that I had before when I say lost lost five or six kilos. And again, like, it worked for six weeks. But mm. I think what we want to try and help people do now is actually look long term. And I've been trying to say this a few times recently is like, let's let's make 2023 the last time that you start a diet or, you know, start a process and start to think in in 12 months or, you know, even like 12 years, like, you know, think think longer term rather than just a short term, really six, uh, like six weeks. And I think this is 
the, the one of the issues that comes with this temporal landmark that you that you were saying, Tom, is that it's just after a week of indulging. It's right after Christmas and New Year that that whole <coughs> week where people might catastrophize. They might think that, that that their diet was a lot worse than it actually was. So the second thing I want people to think about is look back on this past week um, of Christmas to New Year period. And was it as bad as you really thought? Rather than focusing on maybe the a little bit too much alcohol or too much pavlova or not eating as many vegetables as you'd like, actually focus on, oh, I still had breakfast every day. I still had protein at my meals um, and I got to really enjoy myself and maybe eat foods that, were, that aren't available at all times of the year. Yeah, and to I guess to challenge that too, Josh, was it actually bad? Yeah. Um, like I think... Part of being a human is that sometimes we undereat, sometimes we overeat, sometimes we eat bang on in the middle. And I think it is unrealistic to expect ourselves to go into occasions like Christmas and to just be entirely adequate and never never have a little too much. I know Max is going to tell me to be more disciplined. Um, Precisely. But, yeah. But, like, I yeah, think... I get... Oh, no, okay. Sorry. I thought you were done, mate. You just bloody kept going. I can go as long as you want, Mac. Um, but no, I, I think like the the moral judgment doesn't necessarily even need to be there, right? Because mm. sometimes we probably just internalize this feeling. Like if you're drinking more alcohol than normal and eating more food than normal, you're probably going to feel a little bit less good. And I think people then internalize that sensation as like a moral judgment um, when really like it doesn't matter really. Yeah, just to sort of bolster what you're saying there tom like you know people think of nutrition and healthy nutrition as like does it support fat loss does it support physical health and you know um risk reduction for chronic illness and disease okay that's what people typically think but you know we've also got to think about the for example social and emotional health component of nutrition and if throughout the christmas period we overindulge you know had more alcohol more pavlova or whatever it might not be so conducive to, you know, the physical health side of things that I mentioned before, but it's probably bolstered the social health component, you know, time with family or people who are important to you really acting as a vehicle to enhance those important human to human interactions that are so valuable for our overall health and well-being. So with that in mind, okay, it might not be the alcohol and all this sort of stuff that typically happens around Christmas might not be so conducive to physical health. But what about total health? And I would argue that you know, all because it's not perfectly aligned with physical health doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. And we should try and broaden our scope of what we think when we say, okay, what is a, what what should a healthy diet provider do for us? And then sort of on that as well, um, we were talking about the long-term thing. Now, one big mistake that people make throughout their, well, actually two big mistakes that people make throughout, um, you know, when they attack a New Year's resolution fat loss phase or whatever, and this is, again, to piggyback off of Josh, is that they're all or nothing. They think, oh, you know, I've overindulged so much throughout the Christmas period, and then it goes to all in on the diet. Ultimately, after a while, they start to lose interest in it. It comes becomes too difficult to sustain. They make one small slip up, think the diet's ruined, think there's no point trying at all, and go through that, that immediate transition from all to none. And that's when we see things like yo-yo dieting or also people just throwing in the towel and just saying, you know, I'm done with this. And then also in terms of the long-term thing, so we've discussed not being or nothing, but I think putting time in habit building 
is a key component of something that you can sustain long term. Now, there's a lot of different factors that contribute to whether results are maintained in the long run, sort of weight maintenance. But if you haven't put time into building new or creating new habits that support a maintenance dose of calorie consciousness or healthfulness within your diet, then, you know, if you just follow something blindly, track your macros for eight weeks, follow a meal plan for eight weeks, follow some gym challenge thing for eight weeks or whatever, how many, ever many weeks. At the end of that, if you just revert back to your old behaviors because you haven't built or formed any new habits that support calorie consciousness, then guess what? You're not going to maintain that result. You're going to revert back to your old weight and three years down the line, you're going to be saying, I just need to do that gym challenge meal plan again and you'll be back at square one. To sort of, to follow that path where it leads, I guess, Max, like do you- I think a really important part of that news reflection process is to go not only what behaviors do you need, but what behaviors are currently standing in the way of you achieving that. Um, Good point. Because like, I think it's, we, when we talk about behavior change, like we being society, I think people often think to like, yeah, I'm going to do what, what number is it? Is it 75, 45 hard? The, um, 69. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never done that um, as a good Christian boy. But the thing to think about there is like we often we talk about behavior changes is a huge leap when in reality, like you might get really significant benefit out of going, okay, like right now I'm consuming, if you want to chase weight loss, I'm consuming a lot of my calories in the form of like alcohol and snacks after dinner. Like you might drink four or five nights a week. You can get huge returns on that simply by trying to reduce the number of days you're exposed to that. Mm. Or you could try and alter your environment or swap something out. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm absolutely throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's a really good point that you're making that you're saying, you know, rather than just focusing on forming new habits like eating plants with most main meals, you know, being conscious of, you know, um, higher fat ingredients and those sort of things, you're also saying we can look at habits that we're currently doing that probably need to be modified or changed in the example you used there was alcohol i really like that yeah i I just want to add a bit of a caveat to that one as well though in in the research those kind of show that like approach-based goals are more successful than avoidance-based goals so rather than saying things like i need to cut out alcohol or i need to cut out indulgences actually reframing it to a point like i need to try and add these things in or looking at a replacement instead could an approach involve i need to modify my approach to consuming alcohol to make it more in alignment with the sweet spot like that minimum effective dose sort of mindset would that count yeah, I'd say so. Or even like swapping, like even having some swaps, like, you know, instead of saying, oh, I need to, um, let's say if we look at the reason for drinking alcohol, if it was a stress relief, okay, then maybe I need to add in um, some stress management protocols that align with my physical health, like maybe some meditation or reading a book or doing some journaling instead. Like everything comes down to the root cause of the problem and then finding a suitable solution. And same for the habit, like, Look at the cue for the habit and then find a replacement for the routine. Yeah, I I often talk to people about like on what level we need to interrogate those things. So like you might understand this is the issue, like the consumption is what means we have an excess amount of calories. And then I consume because I feel this way or I have this behavior pattern or whatever. And the harder of a time changing 
that thing, the more I think we warrant going down. Um, like I have, particularly during the lockdowns when everyone was sort of locked in and we entered this weird um, limbo of like time isn't real, every day is kind of a work day. I noticed a lot of my clients had their like one or two drinks a night sort of creep up quite a bit. And in that case, like if it's just sort of happened, in some cases we simply need awareness that the phenomena exists to counteract it. And then like if that isn't sufficient, we can go, okay, is this because you're stressed? Is this because you like the taste? And then we can start to ask those questions of what would adequately replace it? Because I think sometimes encouraging people to swap, say, like a red wine for a green tea is a little bit patronizing. Like it, we, like sure we can say that, but it's not actually like an adequate swap, right? Um, and especially if we're chasing stress relief, I look a lot at like the process, right? Like what's the, it's not just that you're having the red wine, it's that you're sitting down alone with some quiet time, maybe after the kids have gone to bed um, or after everything's cleaned up. And it's about, okay, let's get you everything peripheral to that without necessarily having to include like whatever is interfering with your health seeking goals. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, our approach to coaching comes in as a, as a, as a powerful strategy is like, asking them, okay, what are you getting from this behavior that's no longer really serving your future goals? And what do you think could be a replacement behavior that you could add in? So rather than us saying, hey, swap your red wine for a green tea. So, okay, like, okay, what's the purpose of your red wine? Like you said, it's it's time for yourself to unwind at the end of the day. What do you think is something that you could add in that could, that could kind of fit into that evening routine that now serves the person that you would like to become? Mm. yeah or could you also say that sort of solves the problem or provides the reward that you're seeking to exactly yeah 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 well because like i think we probably don't acknowledge enough as an industry that we actually end up with these behaviors for like specific reasons like we're not just choosing to drink too much or to eat too much or to not exercise enough like Mm -hmm they if we start to think about how they exist for valid reasons all of a sudden we're in a position where we can change the input and sort of drive a different output yeah every behavior has a reason every behavior is an attempt to solve a problem so as coaches what we want to try and do is ask the right questions to get to that root cause of the problem or find out why the behavior is happening in the first place because we have a great understanding of the client and we can then empathize now if you're a client watching this then you can do the same thing okay ask yourself why you're doing this what, what benefit are you getting from it? Because there, there will be some benefit, okay? But it might just be short-term, may not be long-term. And then think about, okay, again, what is a replaced behavior that I can get that is both short-term and long-term beneficial and is helping me move towards my goals and living in alignment with my values and my purpose as well? Just to, to echo that, Josh, I would also say that, um, you know, if there is a current behavior that you're, doing that you kind of know that is conflicting with your long-term goals, you know, replacing that with something that not only considers those long-term goals, but I guess another way of looking at it could be like doesn't come with side effects. So for example, you know, being really stressed of an afternoon, coming home from work and, and snacking. So the thing that you're it's stupid, you know, it's you know, people who do this in these situations might know that it's silly. They might know that they don't really need to snack. They might know that it's not really making them feel better. It might make them feel better in, like just in the moment, but then afterwards they might feel worse, which counteracts. They know all these things. 
but they're still doing that behavior because they're trying to solve a problem. So we can swap that behavior ideally for something that doesn't have those side effects on the long-term goal. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I think it's about making sure that the client actually then wants to do that thing as well. And it's again, not forced, forced onto them. This actually is a nice segue into something I wanted to mention in regards to building habits for this, this new year is actually two things that are non-nutrition related but do impact nutrition and, and obviously a healthy lifestyle is sleep and stress. Now, like stress, when when people are stressed, it is harder to form new habits. It is harder to kind of go down the path of those goal-aligned things that you want to do, like opt for the fruit instead of a um, instead of chocolate as a snack in the afternoon after a long day, or you know, opt for reading the book at the end of the day rather than the glass of red wine. When when we're stressed, we're going to go down that most well-trodden path and obviously look for that bit of a stress relief as well. So I think one thing I would encourage people to try and implement this year is some well-being practices, some time for yourself. Um, whether it be, you know, going going for a walk, not for the step side of things, but just for the time for yourself. Um, chuck on a podcast or some music or, you know, maybe start to get into the habit of reading or listening to books or podcasts that you enjoy. Um, something that, that mitigates the stress because if I also bring up the, like, stress eating example again, I don't think it happens the first time someone gets stressed in a day. I think if we look at the habit loop of a Q routine reward, the Q isn't stress. It is stress on a scale and it's on a scale of one to 10. And it might happen if you are at a seven out of 10. So let's say, for example, if you can do some well-being practices for your mental health, then if that means that your day-to-day stress levels come back down to a three to a five, but your trigger, your Q for stress eating is a seven, then you're avoiding that Q in the first place you won't even then need that replacement behavior later on of that green tea or the book mm. next time you get stressed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also probably worth, like when we talk about well-being practice, stress management, um, it's probably also worth us like putting a little footnote on that discussion and saying that the presence, like we want to make the bar to those activities as absolutely low as possible. Because often people are in highly stressful situations, like not actually, that's not like a deliberate decision. That's like not their fault. That's the way life works. Like life is sort of inherently stressful for so many people. Um, so like say with like, much like with exercise, much like with managing nutrition, even this like simply the presence of it, the smallest amount gets you so much of like the benefit and the positive outcome. And whether that is like, not even a walk where that's standing outside for two minutes um, or turning the notifications off on your phone for 20 minutes. Like those little things are going to be far more useful. And I think too often we go, yeah, we need to, you know, we need to go to therapy for an hour a week and then spend 45 minutes a day, like going through these CBT exercises and I have to get up at 4am and do my meditation. Like we put too many barriers in place to those kind of activities. Yeah, I think this sort of comes back again to two things. Number one, being all or nothing. So thinking I have to do all of these things and I'm not going to even consider, you know, just something that's positive because I think people, that are, not that they don't understand, but they fail to acknowledge that, you know, when it comes to health and weight loss and everything, it, for in a lot of positions, for a lot of people, even a small, what's something, what, what might feel minute and small as a change like for example you know reducing alcohol 
uh, marginally. You know, these things will make a meaningful difference. And even if the difference is small, it's still going to leave you better off and it's going to be worthwhile doing. So something is better than nothing worthwhile doing. The other thing sort of on that as well, Tom, is I very much am, you know, supportive of the idea of not making nutrition more complicated or difficult than it needs to be. Okay, because if we make things harder than they need to be, they're going to be more difficult to adhere to consistently. It's going to be, you know, a bigger, I guess, um, deviation from existing behaviors and routine. And then adherence is going to be difficult to come by. Um, and the other thing is like, you know, as you said, life is inherently stressful for so many people. Why would we then go and lob a bunch of stressful diet things and like rigid rules and the stuff? That's not really going to enhance the outcome. You know, I feel that every source of restriction, every parameter that you place upon your diet and therefore your life should be considered and it should be, you should be quite certain that the return on effort cost or the return on the amount of restriction or restraint that is required is going to be worthwhile. Because like I said, why make the diet and therefore life any harder, more complicated or difficult than it needs to be? Yeah. And I think the we especially as people who like prescribe nutrition it can be sometimes an unpopular voice to say you don't actually have to chase weight loss right now Mm. because sometimes things are genuinely too stressful to warrant adding that extra stress because it's just going to erode your self-efficacy and it's just going to make you miserable but almost like regardless of how high your stress is we could probably pick a singular small thing whether that's when you do your weekly grocery shop, like buying a little bit of extra fruit and just putting the fruit like in your bag every morning and take like things like that we can do to improve your health and sort of all those peripheral benefits without having to go, yeah, yeah, let's track every macro. Let's like really push now because you're stressed. So we want to go as hardcore as possible. So you feel like boxed in. Yeah, literally the low-hanging fruit. Like you can pick the low-hanging fruit and and that's going to have a significant return on investment for your goals. I think I, I want to bring up something that you mentioned there as well, Tommy, is like maybe now is not the best time for weight loss. And I think a question that we can ask our clients, but also like clients can ask themselves is like, it's not just about the goal, it's about the behavior. So it's like, is, is now a good time to lose weight? That's, that's fine. It, it could be a great time for that person to want to lose weight. But is now a good time for you to change your behaviors? That is the main question I think people need to ask themselves because it's through the behavior change that they get the results. It's through this process that gets them the outcome. And they actually need to focus on what they're interacting with day to day in the process that's going to help them achieve these outcomes. So you can want everything. You can want muscle gain and to make the CrossFit games and all that kind of stuff. But do you want the day to day? But also, can you do the day to day? Can you change your behaviors in these areas? Yeah. And do you actually like, is weight loss actually the thing you want? I think so many people have sort of internalized this diet culture message that, you know, it's a new year, you have to lose weight. But the reality is, particularly if you're losing weight for the reasons of like health, you have things you can do without actually chasing deliberate weight loss to improve your health status. And like that's the, that's very clear in the literature, right? In that even if you take individuals like at the same body weight, if you increase their fiber intake, if you increase the amount of movement they're doing, 
they get positive health outcomes as a result of that without us sort of necessitating weight loss. And I think that's particularly the case with people who are just only, who feel like they're only a couple of kilos overweight or maybe they're not as lean as they would like to be. You're not going to see a huge improvement in your health by going from like a BMI of 26 to a BMI of 24. Um, so we have to interrogate, is this actually about weight loss? Is this about health? Or is this about conforming to like a societal pressure or like this internalized image of how you think you should be? Yeah, and this is where I want to introduce it's about conforming to macro coach Steve's gym. Yeah, I was going to say it's about conforming to macro coach Steve's shred plan. I just really want to be my coach. Like you know, like <laughs> I, I, I see them as an aspirational figure. They have an attractive partner. They look good. They do ten hours of work a week and have five hundred clients. So why shouldn't I follow their diet? Drive a Lambo. That's what they eat. Oh yeah. How many Lambos that's do you six have, Matt? At the front, mate. Oh, that's so, so yeah just 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 even based just even based on that so like all those goals like the weight loss weight loss is a fine goal to have if if it actually if you really do want it okay if it's not part of the diet culture and all that kind of stuff but i want to introduce now the goal hierarchy and weight loss sits in the middle it's an intermediate goal along with things like improving your performance or building muscle um all those kinds of things right now they're just not they're not very powerful. They're not very strong. They don't really lead to great levels of like motivation and, and commitment and, and adherence either. What we want to try and do is if those goals are important to you, find out why and actually get to a deep level or a, or a high level, sorry. And it's what's called in the research a superordinate goal, but I call it the anchor goal. So it's basically like what this goal actually, it's basically the, the person that it's helping you become, it's the values that you want to live by. And we can see that when you get to that deep level or that anchor-based goal, it strengthens motivation, commitment, meaning, um, resilience in the face of slip-ups as well, helps you then look long-term. But not only that, it gives you more ways to achieve that goal. So if you want to be you know, the, the healthiest version of yourself, um, and live in alignment with your values that could be, you know, freedom and social health and setting a good example for your children and those around you, you don't need weight loss in order to achieve that, that, that ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. You can do that through many other avenues that you can work on and interact with day to day as well. Mm. Well, let's say, you know, for that person, weight loss is one of their intermediate goals. So, you know, it could be weight loss. It could be going and playing sport with their friends or playing with their kids or just any sort of behavior that aligns with some kind of health-seeking anchor goal. And even if weight loss is a component of that, but due to their lifestyle, their stresses, all these sort of things, if they're not in a position where they're willing and able to, you know, do the behaviors, the day-to-day -day behavior is that yield a weight loss outcome okay you can in a lot of ways, you can see if there is a, an avenue to apply some degree of positive behavior implementation or change then it might not be necessarily uh, yielding uh, meaningful or yielding real-time weight loss outcomes but it can almost set you up for future weight loss when you're willing and ready to do that or in a position where you can. So for example, you know, getting into the habit of going for a morning walk. Okay. This might be a behavior that yes, it aligns with the outcome of weight loss, but it isn't, it might on its own, it might not necessarily be conducive to achieving that goal in the short term. 
but you know it's a health seeking behavior and then when it does come time to say hey you know i'm a little bit less stressed now i'm in a better position to try and do the nutrition day-to-day behaviors then you've already got the you know getting just i guess non-exercise activity or just general movement you've already got that down pack that's already a behavior that is is just autonomous um so you're going to be in a better position to be able to effectively and efficiently achieve those weight loss goals when that time comes yeah well because if you're if, if we operate under the assumption that we're talking about people who want to lose like five to ten kilos it's actually in the context of your entire life it's not going to take that long to lose that amount of weight like you probably like you don't need an inordinately long amount of time of focused dieting to achieve that outcome but you're going to have to maintain that for far longer so if you can establish all those behaviors that might mean that in three months' time, you can put the accelerator down a little bit and you can lose two or three of those kilos and then you can hold on to it. And then that way you can just sort of chip away and work away at it. And sure, it's not like sexy. It's not like a, a nice sell. I'm not going to brag about it on Instagram, but it means that in a year, two years' time, you're where you want to be and it hasn't been hard and the quality of your life's quite good. Yeah, and then we can use the 10-10-10 strategy here as well. So, you know, now it's not just about like, do you want to be lighter in 10 weeks or do you want to be lighter in 10 months and then 10 mm-hmm. years? And essentially that like lighter also then for this person means could be healthier and, and happier mm-hmm. per- perhaps as well. So don't like just look at this short-term strategy and think, oh yeah, I can do Shreddy McGee's uh, 2023 challenge and be 10 kilos lighter in 10 weeks. Okay, but what... What about in 10 months' time? What about when you have to start 2024 and go, fuck, I've got to start all over again because I, I did it the wrong way again? I think that's a really good point that Tom made just before is that, you know, I mentioned before it's important to have a maintenance dose of calorie-conscious uh, or health-seeking nutritional lifestyle behaviours in order to maintain a result long-term. Um, because like I said, if you revert back to your old behaviors, your body weight or your body composition will reflect that. But an interesting point that I just kind of thought in my head that Tom raised is that you can establish those health seeking behaviors even before you go about dedicated weight loss before, you know, typically in my mind, I always say, oh, I think, okay, when we're going for a fat loss phase, you know, there should be like a side component or, or even you could call it the foundation component or the main part of it alongside the weight loss part where it's about habit building. But there's actually no reason why we can't start that process before we're re- willing, ready and able to go for weight loss. You know, like I said, we can, if, if anything that can be implemented throughout a time where you're not willing and ready for fat loss is going to have that positive long-term outcome. And after the weight, you know, you do go for that weight loss phase and lose that weight and achieve that body composition, you're going to be in a better position to maintain it long-term. Yeah, well, I think because I, like, I will often pitch this idea as weight neutral, not weight maintenance. So, like, because if you take someone who doesn't doesn't eat any fruit or veg, has a low protein intake and is, does 3,000 steps a day, and you go, hey, like, let's, over a course of four months, they start eating sufficient plant matter, they start eating more protein, and they start moving a little bit more. They are, they're probably going to end up lighter, but it hasn't been deliberate. And it should feel like, yeah, I can actually do this close to forever, um, which is often a thing I'll bring up. I'll go, okay, let's, if I can pitch it, I'll say, hey, let's try and be weight neutral for now, tick some behaviors off. 
with the goal of I want you to feel like this is easy and you're not dieting. And then like that might be sufficient to lose an amount of weight, but at least then you've got the option of pushing harder and you haven't burnt someone out and they're not gassed, you know, eight weeks in your 12 week coaching package. Yeah. And it comes back to that. They're ready, willing and able to do these behaviors as well. So they may not be ready to go into a big deficit phase, but they are, they like this week, they are ready to add an extra piece of fruit. This week, they are able to add an extra serve of veggies. This week, they are willing to, to go for a walk in the morning. Like, that's what we're trying to pitch, these ideas, these behaviours that at this point in time, they're really able to do. And when you ask this question as a coach, it's not about, okay, are you able to do this? And they say no, and go, okay, cool, like, all right, never touch it again. It's like right now needs to be the caveat that goes on to the end of that sentence. Are you ready, willing, and able, or do you want to do this right now? If not, we can come back to it later on if this goal is important to you and if because this behaviour will help you get get to that outcome. Yeah, I think another really cool thing about this is, you know, we've talked about this thing of sort of, I guess, weight-neutral behaviours that sort of Tom used that term or weight-maintenance behaviours or whatever you want to call it. We, we spoke about that. And then transitioning into like dedicated fat loss phases. So it's kind of like this, I'm I'm going for weight neutralness now and then I'm going for dedicated fat loss or weight loss right now. But in a lot of instances, the accumulation of those weight neutral behaviors can actually yield a weight loss outcome sort of in the background without even really going for it. And I think that's a really positive position for people to be in because like Tom said, like you're not going to feel gassed. It's not going to be as taxing and it's going to be something that's probably, you know, it's going to feel more sustainable, at least be more sustainable in the long run, you know, because it's more about creating behaviors as opposed to following like a phasic approach to fat loss. So I think if that can be attained, it's really, really positive and something to strive for. And I think particularly if you're, if you're an individual who has a lower maintenance value of calories, it might be quite easy to have you lose a kilo a month, but it might be far, far, far harder to get you to lose two to three kilos a month. Just simply because you're going from a you're going from eating eighteen hundred calories to like a fifteen hundred calories. Like all of a sudden it requires far more deliberacy. So like I say, why why use more deliberacy when you have to? Particularly if you can sort of shift some focus and go, hey, we don't we care as little as possible about the scales right now tick these boxes and then not only will your diet be easier in the future, but you may even see some progress like almost accidentally. Yeah. And I think as coaches, we we really love the comments of when we do work with weight loss clients, when they say, I didn't even feel like I was on a diet. Like that is like, that's one of my favorite things to hear from someone because they're not feeling overly restricted, right? And it's not harder than it needs to be either. And they're not having all the the consequences that come from that that over restriction either as well. Um, and I think there's kind of three main things that this kind of ticks boxes of. It's like it's a flexible approach. It's it's process orientated. So they're focusing on like the, the behaviors, but also they're working towards mastery that rather than having this pass or pass or fail thing of like you must hit these numbers and must achieve this this weight by by this week as well. So if we can be flexible with the behaviors, focus on the process and aim, aim for mastery rather than this like performance metric. Um, then I think they're three things that, that are quite helpful for clients as well. And oh, do you want to go back? I was just going to say tying a bit of that together. Um, if we understand the client's anchor goals or their, 
their, I guess their root goal, end goal, whatever you want to call it. Um, then when it comes to implementing some of these behaviors that, that sort of Thomas discussed before, um, we, we see progress. We can see progress for, from those things. But I also think it's worth mentioning that progress can be many things. It can be feeling better. It can be better being better fueled for training. It can also be just generally acknowledging that you've progressed with habits. Like we can use habit building and the application or the adherence to those habits as a means of progress. So, you know, these behaviors might yield some some fat loss in, on the side and, hey, we don't feel like we're dieting. This is really easy, blah, 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 you know, get those positive comments from clients. But I think if we can broaden how we actually define progress and try and bring in other things that maybe aren't so weight loss related, like like I said before, feeling better or just knowing that you're you know um, adhering to positive health seeking behaviors, then you're also creating those more frequent wins. And when we have those more frequent wins, then we're boosting our self efficacy, our motivation, and our desire to keep going. Yeah, and yeah. this is where in the initial consult process with clients, I like to ask them, okay, like what does this goal mean to you? How do you think act and feel differently? And that gives us ways to measure progress. If they feel like they're more in control of their diet, if they're more confident in eating so in social occasions, if they're more confident listening to their internal hunger and fullness cues, they're the questions we can ask our clients. Or if you're not a, if you're not a client, you can ask yourself. You know, each week, am I moving closer towards the markers that are meaningful to me, rather than just a number on the scale? Yeah, and I guess like to be to be a shield for big philosophy, like that comes down to living an interrogated life, right? And I think if you asked, if you said to anyone, um, I could like if you could magically change that number on the scales and change nothing else, it's pretty rare that there'd be a person who'd be stoked by that. Like, sure they exist, but it's it often means more and it is about so much more. And like to Max's point, the more criteria you can flesh out and go, okay, these are all indicators of success. You know, weight loss is actually like weight loss, quote unquote, is actually about how I feel. How much energy do I have? How does my stomach feel when I eat? Do I like, can I move well? Like I might enjoy walking around and find that when I'm five, 10 kilos lighter, I just move better. Um, it's about all of those things. And the more criteria you can have to sort of go tick, 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 I'm achieving these things, the better your self-efficacy is going to be, the better you're going to feel about it. Um, and if you start small and sort of build those wins, it's much easier to create and sustain long-term behavioral change. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, I think uh, You go, mate. Sorry, mate, you go. No, no, you go. Sorry. Um, it's essentially asking, like, what does life look like on the other side for you, Right. And that, like I said, it gives you like that. So that's that's almost like the compass. If we, if, if we use a bit of an, another analogy, that's like your your compass. And the cool thing about that is, if we think about the saying, "Many roads lead to Rome." So there's so many paths you can take in order to help your client, or you know, if you're listening to this to help like, for you to get there, that don't involve just this one really rigid road of of weight loss. Yeah, for me, the question that I like the most in this category of like trying to uncover what is the anchor goal, you know, what are the different ways we can assess progress is just asking what does success look like? You know, we've, we've spoken about these other questions like, you know, why is this goal important to you? Who's it helping you become? How will you think, feel, act differently? All these sort of things. My personal favorite is what does success look like? Because then for me, it provides a really, 
I feel like it provides the most efficient means of getting towards what are we really trying to achieve here? And then we can sort of start to, like Tom said, flesh out more criteria of success. And like we've discussed already, the more criterion of success we have, the more criteria. opportunity. More, criteria yeah, whatever the word is. Sorry, man. Okay, whatever. Sorry, Brandon. Um, <laughs> the more criteria we have, the more frequent we have opportunities to just feel good about how we're going with this. And I just think this self-efficacy is so important. Like if you have each week, I'm going to celebrate, hey, you know, I did this particular habit five out of seven days. And last week, you know, it was maybe not so good and I'm improving over time or I'm adding new behaviors. Just this positive reinforcement is just, for me, I feel like such an important thing to just keeping, you know, keeping yourself in the game. Because if you're just focusing on the end goal, which is 16 plus weeks away, and it's just hard to keep your head in the game for such a long period of time when the goal just feels so far out of reach. Yeah, and I think that the self-efficacy point, right? Like it's there's like there's like good data that say that self-efficacy is like one of those things that is predictive of like weight loss success and weight loss maintenance. And you know, part of that is simply knowing, hey, I can engage with this process, I can be successful with it. Um, and to what you said before, Mac, about like, hey, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to look like, what I want to achieve. And then we flesh it out. I think that's also where informed consent is like a really important part of it too. Because someone may actually want something or think they want something where the experience of it is more negative and it's not actually what they want in like the superordinate anchor goal sense. And I think I, I'm reluctant to sort of take us down a whole different rabbit hole, but a lot of the time when we talk about like low energy availability, there are people who are aspiring to certain physiques or looks without actually understanding that, hey, I'm that is going to be really hard, that I am going to have to pay like a pretty steep price for that. Um, and telling people before you take them there, instead of having them rock up with sort of shredded glutes and go, hang on, like why why do I feel like trash all the time and why am I so food focused? Yeah. And I think that's where as the coach, we, we map out the behaviors and say, okay, if you want this, here are the potential behaviors that, that you'll need to start to implement into your life. And here are the steps you need to take to get to that, that place in your life. Like, again, do you want to do those things? And I'm like, I really like this quote that I heard recently is that there is no solutions, only trade-offs. So in order to get something, there, there is going to be a trade-off. You have to make a sacrifice in something. And is it worth it? Is like, if you want to be absolutely shredded um, like your bodybuilder coach, okay, is it worth the sacrifice you have on your social health, on your potential performance, on your, you know, your hormones, your libido, all that kind of stuff? Is it really worth it? And you need to ask yourself that. Um, but just you said before about like self-efficacy in the data, it says it's indicative of like, you know, weight loss and weight loss maintenance, but so is value alignment. And so value clarification and commitment that also supports weight loss and behavior change maintenance over time as well. So asking yourself, like, what is most important to me? Like looking at, a, a just Google Brene Brown values worksheet. Look at that highlight top three to five. Ask yourself, are my goals and actions aligned with my values? And then what goals and actions would align and would reflect my values? And as nutritionists, like, you know what? The crazy thing is we help clients with far more than weight loss. We can actually help the clients go, 
here are my values, here is how I want to live my life, and here is how my nutrition can support that, and we can help our clients do that. And that, to me, is far more meaningful than just weight loss alone. I think it comes also, like it sounds like we've kind of done a big circle here. It comes back to like the decisional balance. Now, the decisional balance is going to be influenced by whether it aligns with your values. Okay, is this worth the trade-offs? in accordance with what's important to me. So, you know, someone who is really, really, really values their social life, the, the the outcome of weight loss, you know, the trade-off of doing that might be an impact to their social life and they might not be willing to sacrifice that. So it really comes back to, again, that decisional balance, but also not only the trade-offs as in like, oh, you know, low energy availability related, for example, like I feel like shit, I'm food focused or, you know, my social health has declined but also the effort cost of the daily behaviours that contribute to achieving that goal. So, again, just to sort of rephrase, you've got to think about, okay, how important is this goal in my, relative to my values? What What's the sort of conundrum between the trade-offs and my values? You know, because that, that's going to change the decisional balance equation. But then also the trade-off as far as daily routine impact or effort cost or just parameters that it sets upon your life so all of these things need to be i mean ideally you're aware of them uh and then you can consider your values consider the importance of the outcome all together and then say is this goal worthwhile for me because ultimately if the decisional balance doesn't sort of really favor you you know people i feel like people go for fat loss goals but they don't really consider that decisional balance sort of equation or a thing prior to it and then ultimately because it's just not worth it. It's a short-lived thing. It's a short-lived goal or it's a short-lived endeavour towards that goal. And then ultimately, you know, they throw in the towel after eight weeks or whatever. Yeah, well, and, and not only do they throw in the towel, right? Like I often tell people decisional balance is a little bit like a pendulum. If you have a big, big, big correction one, day, one way, so you have an intervention which requires heaps of effort, heaps of willpower, you're doing so much stuff, you're lean to a point below your body fat's that point, not only is the pendulum going to return to the middle, it's going to overreach. And like, it's it's ironic, but often I see people who do particularly extreme things end up in a worse position afterwards. Instead of being, instead of just sliding back a little bit, they might actually overslide because they sort of burnt the, the ridge of restraint muscle out for a little bit, or they've found their hunger signals and all those drivers to eat have become higher than ever before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's worth considering how do you avoid that massive swing back to. Yeah, and it's that issue with trying to do too much too soon and eventually leading to burnout. I think people fall into this trap of going like, yeah, I've been eating food my whole life. I should know how to go about it. Um, and it's going to be easy to change my behaviours. But we need to think about it as like you are learning a new skill. How you ate before isn't may, may not be aligned with the person that you want to be in the, in the future and things are going to need to change. So you're going to need to actually put some conscious Mm -hmm. effort into building these habits. And that's going to require mental resources. Now, we only have a limited number of mental resources to allocate across the course of the day that need to also go to things like our work, our study, our hobbies, our family life, our training, whatever it might be. Now, imagine like you are trying to learn a new language. You're not going to learn French in six weeks and be able to speak it fluently. Just like you probably won't get to your absolute most shredded form of physique in six weeks either right and if you did if you if you wanted to learn fluent french in six weeks 
you would have to put the rest of your life on hold, right? So, like, mm. like, is it realistic? Like, can you really do that? Like, and what we what we like to do is the reverse pyramid approach. Instead, just like one behavior at a time and start to stack them on top of each other because it's far more successful, all right? And you're then, like we'll say before, telling up the wins that lead to that greater, like, greater self-confidence as well, which helps you tackle the bigger hurdles mm. ahead. Yeah, just to do a bit of a Tom Clark, and I agree, obviously, big words, but big just words, to do a Tom words. Clark and provide the, the devil's advocate perspective, um, you know, I, I would say that not everything needs to be sustainable. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing something for a period of time. So it might not be sustainable long-term. So learning Indonesian in six weeks, that's not really going to be sustainable because other parts of my life would be, you know, would suffer. But I think move, move, if I really wanted to learn Indonesian really, really quick, I think moving the needle in a direction where other areas of life would suffer acutely so I can focus on this one thing before sort of going sliding back to the middle ground is there's nothing wrong with that. I think the issue, though, is that the sliding back to the middle ground is where people have that problem. And it's like, you know, it's like Tom said, pendulum swings back past that middle ground and the other way. Um, so I think, you know, if speaking about, you know, 2023 New Year's resolution, weight loss goal, whatever, if you want to do something, if you want to take advantage for, of, you know, a period in the year where you're like, I'm not that busy, I'm not that stressed, uh, I'm really motivated right now for this fat loss goal, don't think like, oh, it's unsustainable, the decisional balance of the daily trade-offs and the effort cost and, you know, the all these negative things, like they're going to make big problems, whatever. If you're like, you know what, like I can I can do something a little bit unsustainable for a period of time, Um you know, but it's not so unsustainable that I just can't avoid that pendulum swing the other way. So you move the needle to a level that you're like, I can hold it here and I, I feel confident that it's not going to, you know, blast back the other way. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's completely fine. And yeah, a big part of it is all the things that we've discussed, not, not being all or nothing, you know, not disregarding habit building um, and putting time into that uh, and not embracing experiences as a feedback opportunity to learn moving forwards. And I think that's the, the big thing, right, is you want to have a get out plan if you want to do something unsustainable hard and you want to do it in a way which actually increases your self-efficacy, not the opposite. Um, and like learning from previous experiences, right, if you're someone who's done keto five times and you always lost five or six kilos and but you find you only last three weeks before you quote unquote crack and you go back to eating normally, if you were absolutely hell-bent on doing keto, I could even make a case for, hey, why don't you do it for a week and then revert to a, like, to a maintenance set of behaviors because you know for a fact that you have the juice to go two or three weeks. Because like, I think we already have that data set. We already know we can do this aggressively for this period of time. So if you're just if you refuse to do anything but do it aggressively, Use that knowledge and then go, okay, here's how I'm going to get out of jail, proverbially speaking. Okay, so if someone says, I, I'm i just going to cut out carbs, I'm going to cut out bread and potatoes and, and pasta, but I said to them, but you said to me that you really enjoy those foods. Like, is it worth cutting those out? Yeah, yeah, Josh, I just want to get some runs on the board. So they cut it out for six weeks. So you're saying you then need to have a plan in place of how to add those back into your life whilst maintaining the results that you got as well. Like, I guess that's one way to go about it. Like I, in my opinion, I would just prefer 
to get the results whilst having those foods in the diet in the first place. Like learning how to essentially manage your budget, you know, whilst doing the things that you would enjoy. Like like as a as opposed to being a, a total hermit, like I'm not going to go to the pub with my mates or the movies or the cafe or anything just to either save money or save calories or whatever it might be. Like I feel like a a, a better approach for human beings, like who have more to their life than just the physical side of things is worth actually learning how to budget these things into their life. Make progress with the foods that you enjoy. Yeah, I would agree that that's a more desirable way to do it. But the other thing worth noting is that people are going to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And if people are bought into doing Tom Clark's, Tom Clark macro coach, uh, you know, six week, no bread, no um, potato, no pasta meal plan, then they're going to do that anyway. So, you know, whilst this other approach is probably going to be more desirable, I think that can be done in a way that doesn't, you know, we can't automatically assume that it's going to result in a rebound if it is executed in a certain way and like having that sort of exit strategy or whatever um, you described there, Tom, that's a big part of it. But I also think modulating how deep you go down the unsustainable side of things. So, you know, kind of questioning, do we need to cut out all carbs or could, could we just cut out or reduce even and kind of not, understanding that we don't need to go all in that way um, and maybe finding the sweet spot, if you will. Yeah, well, that's why I, like, I guess there's two things on that. One, I tend to think that if someone is absolutely hell-bent on doing a thing, I can either try and help them do it relatively well or they potentially go somewhere else for someone who will make things far worse than them. But, Mac, I really like that idea of, like, the, like, often I'll frame it as an experiment. So if you're someone who thinks carbs are the devil, go keto. Okay. You have a week of success. On the second week, I go, hey, let's, like you're only eating great green vegetables right now. Let's add a couple of veggies which are other colors. And then like you realize, hey, it's still working. Two or three weeks later, let's add some fruit. Let's add some starchy carbs. Two or three weeks later, hey, now let's trickle in some whole grains. And then all of a sudden we've shown this individual, hey, you can actually like lose weight and not only can you lose weight but you're noticing my life is better now when i can eat pasta than it was when i was having steak and nuts for breakfast um which is like a really you can also only realize that by doing it and reflecting on it like no amount of me doing the writing reflex is actually going to show you that yeah that's the difference between learning and realizing i think we're trying to help our clients realize these things by going through the lived experience as well um, plus I've, I've had this thought recently that all of coaching is an experiment. Like there are no real definites anyway. It's like, we're, we're just trialing things with, with clients and asking like, you know, do you want to trial it with us? Um, are you willing to do this? Do you want to do this as well? Um, but just one thing I just want to touch on what Max said as well is like, rather than restriction, just go for reduction. Like if you enjoy a beer, just go from 20 to 10. If you enjoy bread, like maybe just if any, and if you think it's too much then have just a little bit less. If you're eating too much chocolate, have a little bit less. Don't just cut it out of your life, especially if you enjoy those things. So just think about like reduction rather than restriction. Yeah, this comes back to that all or nothing thing. Like people think if I'm going to do this Tom Clark's keto plan, I need to cut out everything to if I want to look like Tom Clark. But actually Tom Clark might turn if around and do, say, no, serious problems. you can go, go from 10 to 5 or 
what 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 was the thing you said, Josh? You were like something to something else. Can't remember. That was really good. I like that. What was it? I don't know. You were like you you were going from rather than going all to none. You you made you said something that was like go from when you said go from ten to five beers or bread to less bread. What was the the phrase you used there? Do you remember? Uh, reduction rather than restriction. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do that thing. Yeah, it's alliteration. Um, it's very sexy. Yeah. So just, yeah, again, that challenges the all or nothing. And I personally think like in my own observational experience that all or nothing thinking is one of the biggest like barriers to positive diet patterns long-term. Yeah. yeah. And you know what the thing I try and bring up with clients is I ask them if they, if they say, I'm just all or nothing. I say like, are you all or nothing in all areas of your life? And I just maybe just with diet, like, okay, like if you go to the gym, if you miss a lift, what do you do? You just try and do it better the next time. Like you don't just like pack up and go home. Like if you have a poor sleep on Monday, you don't go, fuck, I'm not sleeping again until next Monday. Like you try and like adapt and pivot and try and do things better. You learn from it. But for some reason with nutrition, people are just, that's the one thing that they are all nothing with. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we can try and help people with this year as well is like a theme could be self-compassion. Like, just be compassionate and yeah, don't run, don't try and do too much or be like be too restrictive. And I think the the all or nothing is like a it's an artifact of inability to tolerate gray area, right? It's like I it is easier for my brain to just say things are good, bad, people are good, bad, things good, bad, everything's yeah. good, bad. Um, and to be fair, like it takes a, it takes a lot more effort to sort of critically appraise absolutely everything you do. Yeah, yeah. So it um, makes it makes sense why people oh, do it. Totally. But I think, I guess, like the, the flip side of what you said, Josh, is some people I talk to and I'm like, oh, do you do this in other domains of your life? And it's like 100%. They're just someone who's a perfectionist. And for whatever reason, they've learned I do things 100% or it's not worth doing, you know, uh, worth doing, worth Julux. And trying to expose people to that like little bit of like seven or eight out of 10 is pretty good especially when you do it for years on end um, can be so useful and challenging them. Okay. When did you learn this thing? Like, cause is that uh, for a lot of people, it's a thing they pick up in childhood. Like, you know, you I don't know, your parents say something nice to you about how hard you try all the time and you just decided, or you didn't decide, but you just internalize that as a central tenet of your personality. You know, I'm, I'm Tom Clark. I do things 10 out of 10 or zero out of 10. Um, and that's like slightly outside our scope, but I think acknowledging if you behave that way, Hey, i I will get more benefit to my whole life by working on this with like appropriate psychology as opposed to going, yeah, I just need to like track back macros better Ah, would be useful. Yeah. And like to borrow a phrase from my new man crush, Angus Bradley, it's like, you don't need to be optimal to get results. Like why not try and like be suboptimal? Like you, again, like you kind of try less hard and you get better results anyway. Well, I think this whole optimal suboptimal thing is a bit of a, a bit of an arbitrary term. Like what is the optimal diet? And I would argue that the optimal diet is one that you can do for a long time, or at least, you know, doesn't yield that big pendulum swing the other way. So it's got a degree of not being all in. It's already automatically not optimal in the sense of the goal that you had in mind, but also it supports the life that you want to live. And this is going to automatically include things like social meals and indulgences because they're probably a part of the life that you want to live. So therefore, all because your diet has ice cream in it and maybe some overindulging and maybe some alcohol, is that is this actually suboptimal? 
Or is this not optimal? I would actually argue that the diet that cuts those things out where you aren't able to live that you want, the life that you want to live, I would argue that even though that diet is, made, say, for example, perfect or optimal for weight loss or whatever the goal is, doesn't mean it's the optimal diet for the overall life that you want to live. And that's far more important. And at the end of the day, we would want to achieve a body composition goal, for example, weight loss, to try and help us live the life that we want to live. But if it's got that trade-off or that side effect because of all the negative shit that doing the behaviors and also the outcome of the 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 goal yields, um, then what's the fucking point, yeah, <laughs> basically? I, I don't want to straw man like, people who are optimal um, because it's easy to. But I think almost no one actually wants to do 100%. People want to be able to tell themselves they're doing 100%. Like if this goal is actually the most important thing in the world to you and you want to do 100%, you would quit your job, you know, you would, I don't know, sell your children, you divorce or break up with your partner and pursue and just center your life around the pursuit of this goal. And for absolutely everyone, there is a thing they are not willing to do. And like often I'll ask that in a consult, like what aren't you willing to do to get to your goal? And if someone says, oh, I'm willing to do anything, it's a little bit of a red flag. Uh, because once you accept there are things I'm not willing to do, it lets you realistically put yourself, okay, like like what kind of constraints am I operating under? And it lets you ask much more honest questions with your behavioral change to like do the minimum to progress yourself forward. So like in many ways, like optimal is actually a myth. There's just better. Um, and I think good enough is always like good enough is what is sufficient to get you better in the long term. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to what Mac was saying before is, like, it might be physically optimal, but it's not optimal in the grand scheme of the person you want to become in your total health and the deep health when we think about your physical, your social, emotionally, mental, your existential, your environmental, your relationships, all of these things. You need, like, that's what we're so big on at FNC. We're not just focusing on the physical health. We focus on the big picture. And one of the points that Alex made that I wanted to bring up, and he kind of, quoted Mac with this is like you know does the approach and does the goal actually make your life any better and it's a going beyond the physical well uh you know like we always say at fnc we want to change lives not just bodies correct i disagree well (laughs) you say i disagree yeah i'm literally (laughs) just in it for the abs sorry guys abs and instagram likes yeah Mm. And if I can bring up something that like I've been thinking about a bit recently is like people try and find a perfect diet. Like let's start to take the time to create the diet that suits you and think about the golden behavior criteria of like, can you do it? Do you want to do it? And is it going to help you? Like basically does it work? And is it worth doing to help you become the person you want to become? Like, Like, stop trying to find it. Actually, just take the time to create it because Mm. it's a worthwhile return investment if you're going to have that for the rest of your life. Perfect diet is going to be the one that adheres the um, goal behavior criteria. Yeah. And that's going to be individual. Can we ban that word? Like, (laughs) perfect. Like, I, I think, I think, like, we shouldn't even aspire to the perfect diet, right? We should aspire to like an appropriate one because we're not trying to like reinforce these ideas of like moral valence and like, you know, I'm not trying to convince myself that being imperfect actually means I'm perfect. I'm trying to accept imperfection. 
Yeah, I guess the 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 the, uh, the negative connotation could be if someone says, "Josh, I did, I created the perfect diet for me, but I still can't follow it." That person is going to feel like they're pretty shit. Yeah, and that's when I go down this very like tangential, esoteric rabbit hole, um, and say, "Hey it guys, hurts. nothing is real. We're just bags of flesh with spicy electricity. Like it doesn't matter." It's a new drinking game in 2023. Every time you say a word, Tom does. Tom says that you. Sorry, every time Tom says a word that you don't understand, you've got to drink. And every time it gets very nihilistic, you have to drink. Oh, I actually think there's a lot of meaning, guys. I just derive it myself. You know, your experience may vary. <laughs> um, so just before we wrap up, I want to share some extra points that Alex sent through because he did take the time to send them over. Um, a couple of the things he said to avoid, so the outs for 2023 were like eliminating food groups and nutrients and like the foods that you enjoy, essentially. Um, excessive parts of restricting your diet. Um, focusing too much on how you look, uh, cutting out the things that you enjoy or value. Um, uh, one that he re- I really liked was um, don't ramp up your exercise compared to what you currently do now. So don't go from one or two sessions a week or not training at all to trying to do five or six sessions a week if it's not sustainable as well um, or it's going to lead to like injury or burnout. Um, don't follow unqualified advice and let's start to cut out the negative self-talk like i'm lazy or i've got no willpower or i'm not disciplined and he reckons the things we should start to add in and the do's for this year uh is make sure that that you actually want to achieve your goals not feel like you should achieve your goals and same thing with your actions um think about like inclusion like so adding things into your diet and looking for diversification rather than cutting things out as well giving yourself permission to eat the foods that you enjoy, um, things like compassion, patience, support, being realistic um, and like cutting out the tough love and also honouring your hunger um, and the things that you enjoy in regards to taste preferences, but also thinking about your social and your financial needs. So I think like they're all like worthwhile things to um, to focus on for this year or try to avoid the, the previous ones. Yeah, right on. Can I be a pedant about negative self-talk? Sure. The, I think, like, because I think for a lot of people, that's the thing they really struggle with. And something I've found anecdotally tremendously useful myself is, like, conceptualizing yourself as not one person, but, like, like a composite of a series of parts. And I think if you name the part of you which has that self-talk, it can help you divorce it from actually being, Tom is saying that about Tom. And instead you can go, oh, like there is this part of me that feels this way, but the rest of me feels another way. And like, that's the part which is more correct in that context. Can you provide an example? Um, So like you, oh, here I go for TikTok psychology, but like you may have, um, you may have like sort of a negative association with yourself. Like you may have learned to consider yourself as a fat person or someone who's bad at sport as a child. And it can be worth going, okay, like that's not actually my voice. Like I've just internalized the voice of someone who bullied me. I've just internalized like a critical parent or like a poor experience with a sport coach. And if you allow that to be a part of yourself, which doesn't like entirely define you, all of a sudden the rest of you is open to going, hang on, I can enjoy these things. I'm not bound by my identity as someone who is overweight. I could actually be someone who enjoys sport 
um, I think that's a really useful exercise to sort of run through. Yeah. Okay. So if I use a, a personal example, if I have too many beers, but I have a really, really good time, there's part of me is like, Josh, like you did it again. Why do you have too many beers? But that's like maybe the the more the physical focus side of things. Whereas the social health goes, but yeah, but you actually had a pretty good time. And the desk next day wasn't too bad. So like, don't feel too bad about it. Is that what you're saying? Like having that bit of a conversation? Yeah, well, I think like what we call balance is actually about like integrating conflicting desires and ideals, you know, and like the the Josh or the Tom that wants to have, like there's a part of me which does want to have 15 or 20 drinks. And then there's a part of me which wants to live a really wholesome, sober life. There's no point sort of bouncing between the two, but instead we can acknowledge hey, this part of me wants this. How do I keep them satisfied? How do I engage with that respectfully? Whilst also acknowledging the much bigger, much more important part of me wants other things. Yeah, that's that's a deep way to end this podcast. Mm. Mac, any uh, any closing thoughts, mate? Anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, I, I do want to add one point. And I think this is probably going to be maybe potentially next month's roundtable. And this is the idea, like, in those points that Alex sent through, you know, don't restrict yourself from the foods that you love, like, have what you, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think there's a big trend of, like, if you want to have chips and a cocktail, just have it. But I think, like, people who want to achieve weight loss, who don't have a physique that they, uh, this kind of ties in the body image thing. But let's just say someone has a a physique that they're not happy with and they want to lose weight. Let's just, ignoring the whole body image nuance, you know, that Shannon would probably raise in this. Let's just say that's this hypothetical situation, that situation. They might see that and be like, well, I want to lose weight. So like, how do I interpret this? Oh, if you want chips and a cocktail, just have it. And I think um, that's probably something that should be discussed in the context of a 2023 or just a fat loss goal. Um, because I think, you know, with that rise in that trend, there's a lot of confusion going on here. Like people sitting there viewing them being like, hang on a second, like at the end of the day, like I want to lose weight. Yeah. And I think there's a, like, it go, kind of goes back to that reduction rather than restriction, but also like delaying a bit of gratification. Like you, like we, as humans, we can't just be impulsive. Like we, yeah. can't act, we can't act on every single thought that pops up in our head. Right? Otherwise there would be serious chaos in this world. Like we need to actually think about our thoughts and what we want and then our actions and then the trade-offs, right? So I think that's yes. that's that's really important. So it's not like give yourself permission to eat the foods you enjoy the first time you see it. Mm-hmm. Like go, ah, oh, cool, cinnamon scroll at the cafe. Oh, that looks pretty good. Um, if it's still there tomorrow, I might have it. Like that could be that could be a way of delaying gratification. I feel like though there's a big push at the moment for if you want to just have it. Like there's no rules. Like the, and, and no the idea of unconditional permission to eat doesn't involve conscious food decision making. It's just like unconditional permission. I want it, and this is not really what unconditional permission to eat is. It involves that conscious food decision making mm-hmm. and consideration for the the trade offs and the decisional balance. I just feel like there's a big push for ignoring that side of things. And the interesting thing is that the people who push that come from a place of like good physique privilege, typically. And I think this is something that, yeah, I think this deserves to be attacked. Yeah, let's, let's flag it for the let's, next round. Yeah, table let's and we'll park get, that we'll, one. Yeah. We'll get Alex and Shannon on as well. Death to the good-looking yeah. people. Next potty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, if, we, if we can basically summarize this this podcast is or this this uh, this video this round table, it's essentially is that when you are setting some goals and some intentions, whether for the new year or, or any time of year, get to your deep why, that anchor, that compass, that value aligned life, what your life looks like on the other side of achieving those goals, because that's going to be more meaningful to you than just the weight loss or the changing physique or performance in the gym, right? But then break that down into an action, all right? So we've got the anchor, we've got the action, the day-to-day that you're interacting with, um, and making sure that you somewhat enjoy that process, um, that you can do it, that you want to do it, and that you and those actions are also aligned with your values, okay? So think about the anchor and the actions. Um, and if I can leave you with one last quote, it's that, you know, you're only at the peak of the mountain for a short amount of time, so you you better enjoy the climb. Yeah. Anything else, lads? Nah. That'll do. No, I'm just more than enough. All right. Thanks, lads. See you next month. Thank Thanks, you. gents.